What do you need? Shoot us hiding behind the coffee pot. Yeah. We're going to start, gentlemen. We have a number of announcements. So while you're finishing your chocolate boost, I have a few things that I'd like to say here before our speaker begins. The head table. <laughs> you remember that one of our speakers was Baruch Goldstein a few months ago, and that this coming Wednesday at the Westbury Manor, there's going to be a Jews for Jesus Passover banquet. And while we ordinarily don't do commercials here, this is something that is of interest to many of you. And if you're interested in getting tickets for this, please see Mr. Steve Lamus after our breakfast this morning. Our speaker for May will be our founder, Mr. Gus Lambertes. And we look forward to his address on May 16th, the third Wednesday of the month. When I began to teach at Nassau Community College some years ago, a student told me that the way you speak about religion and what you're trying to tell us reminds him of one of the professors he has in another department. And he said, you two people ought to get to know each other because you have similar interests and similar enthusiasm for your Christian faith. So I began to look for more evidence of this person they were speaking about, Dr. Paul Earle. And the next thing I knew, he was being written up in the student newspaper as one of the outstanding professors at the college. And from this write-up, I learned that he is indeed a very unusual person. He has been in his lifetime a lumberjack, a house painter, a plumber, a surveyor, a barge hand, and he put in a hitch in the army. He has eight brothers and sisters, and I'd like to read a paragraph or two of what the student reporter said about Dr. Paul Earle. He enters the class bursting with energy while students half his age struggle to keep their eyelids open. It's at 8.30 in the morning. He has a substitute for his 8.30 class this morning in order to be here. Ah, what a beautiful day, he'll chirp, taking a whiff of the air. He'll cheerfully ruminate about the pre-dawn three-mile walk he took with Carol, his wife, that morning. To Dr. Earl, the world is full of such immense beauty that he always wants to be awake to witness it. Dr. Earl is a deeply religious man. And they quote him, why do I love nature? Why do I love people? Why do I love my wife? And why do I love my family and all this? For me, it's all very, very simple. You see, I believe that God created all this. I don't know exactly how he created it or the techniques that were involved, but he's at the center of my universe. He's there at the center as a person. He's the one that motivates me. A great portion of his lecture period is then devoted to his personal slides of nature and ecology. He's a consummate photographer, and the pictures he captures are the result of many patient, time-consuming hours. During the first few weeks of the semester, Dr. Earl would show pictures of some of his favorite critters, his family. In a span of six lessons, his students become familiarized with his parents, his brothers, sons, daughters, wife, and his irrepressible and Francis. In addition to all this, Dr. Earl is the advisor for the InterVarsity Christian Fellowship at Nassau Community College. It gives me great pleasure to present my good friend and colleague, Professor of Biology, Dr. Paul Earl. Thank you.
really wholeheartedly believe in that definition of a university? Is that what a university is? Is it the place where all may come for the purpose of examining all possible sources of truth? I submit that it is not. <clears throat> I submit that the public university and most private universities are highly provincial and even deeply <coughs> committed to a religion. The religion is the religion of secular humanism. Now I know when I first heard this, I said, oh my goodness, you know, here comes a radical person. And I tend to be very, very conservative in my views and uh, reluctant to, to get onto any kind of a bandwagon at all. But I've been forced more and more to this conclusion as I have been not only a teacher um, at, uh, at different universities, New York University, Adelphi, Nassau Community College, and also at the high school level. I've seen the <coughs> tenets of the faith of secular humanism at work, and I've seen the products of it, which convinced me all the more. Let me just um, go over some things with you. Secular humanism is a faith by its own definition. If you were to read the uh, Humanist Manifestos, you would discover there, how many have read the Manifestos? Two? Three? I challenge you to do that. There's an explicit statement of faith, precisely the things that are believed. There is no infinite personal God. We are a cosmic accident. I'm paraphrasing some of them but they, it is by de dictionary definition a religion. It is by two Supreme Court rulings explicitly a religion in precisely the same sense as Christianity or Judaism. It is a religion by logic. The Christian faculty member and the Christian student on campus is really up against some pretty tough odds when trying to live out their faith on the on a campus scene. Let me give one illustration. As faculty advisor for the InterVarsity Christian Fellowship since 1968, we have a budget which is uh, contributed to by the FSA, the Student uh, Faculty Association. Um, and for all of these years, we have been able to use funds from that budget for the purpose of pur purchasing religious literature, tracts and books and so forth, which are used on our book table, which we use regularly on the campus and in various uh, buildings <coughs> uh, for purposes of initiating conversations with students. Two years ago, the school deemed it wise to cut off funds for these materials. I immediately protested. And they said, well, we can't because of the separation of church and state. I said, oh. And then I went back to the desk and did a little bit of work. And for one entire year, last year, we spent uh, a large number of hours 
in argument before the FSA and before legal people and so forth, um, trying to get those funds back. What was the basis of our argument? The basis was clearly and simply this, that if there must be a wall of separation be between church and state, and we cannot use public monies to fund religious literature, my argument, strictly from the Supreme Court rulings, logic and dictionary definition, was simply this. And therefore, we must close the library. We must cancel almost all of our classes. And we must dump the cultural program in almost in its entirety. Why? Because the books that are written in almost every single course, with no exception that I'm familiar with, are written strictly and explicitly from a secular humanistic point of view with explicit statements in those books to the notion that there is no God and a variety of other things. I pursued this argument with them for about one year. At the end of the year, they finally agreed that, this, that the arguments were true and the monies were then reinstated. We can use the monies for uh, religious literature, and um, we can uh, conduct our program as we did before. The alternative was simply, at least in terms of logic, I don't know about actuality, the alternative was simply to close up shop and to uh, stop preaching the gospel of secular humanism. Now, it is a bit difficult for me to stand up here and even talk to a, a group of Christian men, fellow believers in the Lord Jesus Christ about this, because I know of many Christians who are perhaps unaware of the drastic consequences and the uh, consequences of a consistent teaching, such as our children in school are getting. Um, a lot of, perhaps us, are, are unconvinced of the fact that this is the case. What I'd like you to do is just consider the impact of secular humanism in the college classroom. Now, as you follow that kid that was playing frisbee uh, into a history class, for example, you'll notice that the his history is not any longer taught, generally speaking, <coughs> as a group of objective facts that have meaning um, that is rejected in a large number of instances, particularly where you are dealing with the influence of uniquely Christian events on national and international affairs. I know this directly. We are not free to interpret from the traditional historical grammatical method of interpretation anymore. Because to do so <coughs> would be condemning of the humanistic system to which the public institution is committed. Go to the English class next. As you enter the English class and you're studying English and American literature, particularly <coughs> from the 17th, 18th, and 19th 
century, you'll notice that a lot of that literature has to be pushed aside or completely reinterpreted because much of that literature, as you well know, is clearly Christian either directly in terms of its content or in terms of its implication. And of course, this is antithetical to a humanistic system of thought. Consequently, we do not hear about that. Incidentally, I would also ask those of you who have uh, kids in college or have had them in college, how many of them have come home saying that they have studied one of the greatest writers of the 20th century, C.S. Lewis? You will not find C.S. Lewis studied to any extent in the public educational system. Um, there is definitely a bias there. Additionally, let's go from the, <coughs> the history class to the English class to a psychology class or a sociology class. Think back to your own experience. Can you imagine studying about the human personality from the viewpoint of the fact that we are made in the image of God? Could you study, would you be studying in a social system, in a social science class, ideas that uh, suggest that the Ten Commandments are relevant to social cohesiveness? Everything is relative, we are taught. And this comes across. Perhaps just yesterday you heard on the radio how the social services uh, uh, department down in, what was it, South Carolina? is um, um, pressing charges uh, against a, a couple that have been training their children that there is a heaven and a hell and that there's such thing as sin because of mental cruelty the children this was on winds radio yesterday this is a growing phenomenon folks it is a growing phenomenon it is very very strong in nebraska and a number of other states um i'm leading up to something let's go a little bit further Obviously, no fair-minded person entering any one of the natural sciences classes, chemistry, physics, biology, or what have you, would hardly expect to hear that God created everything, that all things are held together by the word of his power. We know from the teachings of secular humanism or mechanism that it's time plus chance plus the impersonal that has given us this grand accident that we have today. That's incontestable, is it not? And I won't pursue that any further. That's several lectures in itself. <coughs> Let's go to another favorite class. Family life and sexuality. Have you read any of the assignments that are given in these classes? I have. I've had them in my hands. A former president of the local chapter of university came to me with a sheet of paper and he said, Doc, what am I supposed to do with this? On that sheet of paper, for the next class, he was to go out and have a sexual experience with a girl or a fella if he chose not only in the traditional sense, but he was also to have a sexual experience orally 
and a variety of a whole variety of things, and then give his reactions. You know, which do you like best? Why? And so forth, folks. This is the education which is par for the course right now in a system which is dominated by secular humanism, which is saying, Christ, we will have no part of you. You are out. The, the situation indeed is bad. Now, I work in that situation. Fred works in that situation. And there may be a number of others of you that work in that situation. And even I feel tremendously <laughs> insulated in terms of what is going on in the classrooms. Why? Simply because I'm my person, I go to my office, I go to my classes, and so forth, and we develop a, a bit of provincialism. But being in a position where students are constantly coming in, I'm constantly getting feedback from what's going on in the various classes, and it is a, an exceedingly bad scene. I'm not trying to paint a picture that is bleaker than it is. I'm simply trying to uh, acquaint you with some of the facts. Now that is indeed rather bleak, and I notice the time is, is going quickly, and I promise not to keep you too long, so don't get fidgety. Um, we will be out before 8 o'clock. I was reading this morning uh, in my devotions about um, Peter and his denial of the Lord, and things really looked very bleak at that time, didn't they? Man alive, if you were to go around with a, a gallop pole or something like that, or take a popularity reading on Christ, he had no future at all, according to the, the current consensus. There was no future in Christ. The world system had us right where it wanted us at that point in time. But such was not the case. Christ is absolute. Christ is in control. And I say that as I'm as convinced of that concerning today as I am that he was in control back then. Christ is here. There is a presence on campus that the devil will not have his complete way. He's on campus in the person of many individual students who are thoroughly committed to him. He's on campus in faculty members who are holding forthright the word of God. He's in campus, in, the, in administrators, and in a large number of staff. Let me give you some encouraging things and then just wind up on, on a, a special note of challenge. We'll just take this past year. What has happened this past year on campus? Two weeks ago, out, of, out on the Stony Brook campus, the largest auditorium on the Stony Brook campus was packed to overflowing to see a film which explicitly presented the gospel of Jesus Christ, sponsored by InterVarsity <coughs> Christian Fellowship. Out at Farmingdale, this week, they are having a Bible distribution program for the entire campus. At Hofstra University, a consistent book table is being put up and conversations are, have resulted and a number of young kids have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior. Oh, two times ago at our house was a fellow by the name of Rich, who was not a Christian, and he just came there, and incidentally, 
university groups come to our house on Friday nights uh, once a month for the purpose of just fellowshipping. And he was so enamored with the group and everything like that that uh, during the time of prayer, he just felt led to pray. Not being a Christian, he said, wow, I, uh, there's something special about being here. Uh, I, I'd like to know what it is. And uh, he said, uh, I thank you folks. You know, he didn't know how to pray to God, but he says, I thank you folks for letting me come here. And he says, uh, I, I'd really like to know more about this. That Sunday, he came to know the Lord. Monday morning, he bounded into the office. And he says, I don't know what to say. I, I just can't tell you what's happened to me, you know. And that guy, for the last two weeks, has been a solid growing Christian. It's exciting to see him grow. Another fellow on the same campus, Rich New, newly has come to the Lord. <coughs> Walking across campus, he turned to me and he said, he gave me a punch like that, he's a bodybuilder. <laughs> <laughs> he says, I can't believe it. It's unimaginable. I have access to the one who created all of this. The wonder of it all is a brand new Christian who was totally excited about the, the accessibility to God that he has. And he, on a large number of occasions, has just come into the office with new insights. He knows, wow, what's happened? On the campus this semester, Four hours a week. <coughs> for four hours a week, students come into the office for the purpose of praying for the campus. The Lord is at work. There's a Bible study where faculty, students, and staff come in. And they're there busy trying to find out how they can reach their fellow person for the Lord Jesus Christ. At this time, we're not looking for a big campus-wide con campaign. We're looking for one-on-one -on -one quality contact with people the way Christ did, just one-on-one. -on -one. Behind all of this, and I just I just want to make uh, a special uh, pitch, if you want to put it that way, behind uh, much of this on each of the campuses is a, an organization known as InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, an organization which is uh, absolutely superb as far as I'm concerned. How many here have heard of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship? Oh, what, what a number, all perhaps a little bit better than half. InterVarsity Christian Fellowship is a completely non-denominational, non-sectarian, student-led organization on campus. It's the oldest one in the United States. It's been here for over 40 years. Um, has a, uh, a doctrinal statement which I believe that every one of us could subscribe to. The Bible is the infallible word of God, Jesus Christ. Uh, it is only through the redeeming blood of Jesus Christ that we have access to heaven. Uh, it's committed to the work and the person of the Holy Spirit here in this age, to his second coming. Uh, basic fundamentals of the faith. Um, University Christian Fellowship is led by the, some of the finest people that I have ever met. Now, if you want to judge things according to inappropriate standards, we can judge them according to, say, intellectual powers and grade point averages and so forth. For example, John Markoff, former staffer at Nassau Community College, 4-0 graduate in the class.
classic languages are, and uh, you know what the 4-0 represents? We're talking about a straight-A student, okay? We're talking about people who are absolutely the cream of the crop intellectually. We're talking about staffers who are the cream of the crop culturally and socially. That is, they are up on current events. They are well capable of, of uh, um, speaking with students and faculty and administration alike on, on very, very comfortable terms. I'm very, very much impressed with them. Um, I have in my um, briefcase a number of comments by people that I'm not going to get out right now, but uh, major leaders um, of the U.S. political scene and the U.S. government scene, uh, um, people such as the uh, vice president uh, in charge of environmental division of General Motors and so forth, uh, people of this caliber who state that University Christian Fellowship is clearly one of the most influential forces that God is using on American campuses today to turn the situation around. Now, if I were using my notes, which I couldn't find immediately in the, in the briefcase, I would immediately turn to, to this. We can look at the work that God is doing on the campuses on Long Island in two different, or in two or three different kinds of ways. We can say, yes, that's, that's a nice missionary kind of outreach, and it's probably a worthy uh, thing to support. It's, I can see where it's part of uh, perhaps God's plan that uh, we should be reaching the youth for Christ on, on college campuses. There's another way in which we can be looking at that, and that is at a much, in a much more pragmatic way. You're involved in business. You live here in Long Island. I live here in Long Island. The millions of students that are attending, are attending our colleges and universities are those same people that are going to be coming back to our businesses, back to our societies, and determining the shape and flavor of our society. So you can look at supporting the work of the cause of Jesus Christ on campus through InterVarsity or other good groups like that in, shall I be so crass, as protection money? <laughs> I think all of you in business are very concerned with the quality of people that work. You know that the quality of work has gone down considerably. You can look at the stability <coughs> of your community and so forth. The stability of our communities is dependent to, directly dependent on the degree to which Christ is having access to our youth. To what extent does he have it? To what extent is he going to have access to our youth? We are clearly in a position where there's, we are at loggerheads between two strongly competing religions. The school system is committed to secular humanism, a religion, clearly a religion. Jesus Christ is committed to bring his people home. Where is our commitment on this? Shall we bow our heads in the word of prayer?
Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity of coming here and speaking with these friends and these men about your work on the campus. It is truly just as much a mission field as any field that could be on a foreign shore. I thank you for the fact that you are in control of all. You are in control of this moment right here. I pray that you will bless us and lead us in your path and help us to be diligent workers for you, soldiers standing tall and straight, marching forward with the gospel of Jesus Christ in these days which are so much in need of your correctness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now one last thing, just before Fred comes. I have, now I am not, I do not want to abuse any kind of thing, uh, protocol here at all. I have cards. If you would be interested in uh, just putting your name and address down and would like more information on ways in which you could help, either by prayer or just by receiving information as to the specific work of InterVarsity on the Long Island campuses, we're not talking about uh, nationwide in general, I have them here and would be happy to distribute them and you can just give them back to me and I will be sure that you get information on that specifically. Okay, Fred? <coughs> basket on the way out. I'm told that our breakfasts are now over $5 a piece. While this is a free undertaking, please help support uh, the Hitler breakfast. Also see Mr. Steve Lamus if you want uh, tickets for the Jews for Jesus dinner on Monday night, and we'll see everyone on May 16th when Gus Lambertis will be our speaker. Are there any other announcements? Thank you very much, and have a good day. We can send it either to her or send it, give it to me and I'll give it to you.